And often patients tell me, you know, I understand it may not work for me, but at least you will learn something, so I want to participate. And wow. I must thank them all for doing that. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Claire Verschragen, the Director of the Division of Medical Oncology and the Associate Director of Translational Research at the James and Comprehensive Cancer Center. Claire is an expert in creating treatment options and new clinical trials, including rare types of cancer, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thank you very much, Steve. My pleasure to be here. Claire, how did you get involved in the specialized field of developing clinical trials and new treatment options? I was you know, involved in drug development, trying to find newer treatment that had some promising activity in patients. Uh, and we wanted to test them in human beings to see, first of all, how well they would tolerate it, what was the right dose for that specific drug. Uh, and so in, th this in people and uh, all this is done through clinical trials that are called phase one. And this will be for people where the the standard treatment wasn't working well. Most of the time, yeah. And Except that today, though, we have such precise drugs that are targeting you no know, molecular anomalies that we know are the cause of specific, you no, know, again, rare cancers that. Uh, Sometimes now we go straight for that population where we know that it's the right drug for the right target. That, that has not usually been used for that cancer, but through genetic testing, you have confidence that it'll, it'll work. That's right, yeah. So I think it would be helpful for me, and I'm sure for people listening, I don't really fully understand the different phases of clinical trials because you do phase one clinical trials. So if you could perhaps run through and maybe spend a little more time on phase one, but then what are the subsequent phases and how they okay. all tie together and lead to a drug being approved for yeah. cancers? So uh, I'm only going to speak about clinical trials testing drugs here because okay. there's a lot of other trials on ongoing in health science, uh, prevention, etc. But for testing new drugs and testing drugs so that they can get an FDA approval. Which is your specialty. And, yeah, becoming standard of care. There's really four phases. And since you no, know, this show is about phase one, let me start with phase four. Okay, we're going to go so backwards. So the phase four are the studies that the FDA requires once they have conditionally approved the drug for a specific uh, um, uh, type of cancer. Type of cancer. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, indication, that's the word I was looking for. Oh, indication. For. Okay. So, um, and these phase four is really to make sure the drug, you know, has a consistent activity in that indication and to really learn much more about what are the side effects uh, that the population can expect uh, when they're treated with these drugs. Uh, and sometimes the FDA decide that, in fact, the drug was not active enough or was too toxic and may remove the indication. But that's really quite rare. The phase three trial is really the one that uh, will lead to FDA approval. And this is usually a randomized study where we take the best current treatment available for that patient population and we're going to compare it to a new drug that usually is added to the standard of care or a similar vein as the standard of care. So much more close to what we are expecting. We're just hoping that it'll be a little bit better than the current standard of care. Okay. And so um, 
I would say that most of these trials fail, so it shows that the additional new drug really doesn't help much more than the older drugs. And so these drugs don't get FDA approval, but then if they are very efficacious, uh, they will uh, no, turn out to be FDA approved. So to do that, usually they need to show that the survival of patients is going to be better. It's not just about the response to the drug. So when they don't work, we you, meaning uh, clinicians, physicians still have that standard care drug to fall back on for patients. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then there's the phase two trial, which is usually uh, a single arm. Uh, so we just test the drug. Sometimes we do compare it to a standard, but not always. So we would test the drug to see what's the overall response rate. What's the efficacy regarding survival? So do people live longer? Do their cancer stay in remission longer? And really, what are the side effects that are really associated with this drug? These are trials that usually enroll between 50 to 100 patients. In a phase three, you usually enroll you know, 250 to a dozen or more patients, depending on you know, the difference that you expect to see between the standard of care and your new treatment. Uh, I was just at a conference of GI oncology in San Francisco, and there were a lot of presentations on pancreatic cancer, randomized phase three trials. And unfortunately, all the results were negative. It was pretty depressing. Um, the ideas sounded very good initially. That's why you know, the trials were started. But unfortunately, none of them really showed the superiority to the current standard of care. That's the thing about science. It takes, yeah, it takes 30, 40 ideas to come up with one really great one that works. That's right. Yeah. So it, it's you fail more than you succeed. That's right. So yeah. you guys need stamina and patience. So we need to keep going until yeah. we find the right drugs. Yeah. And then the phase one, uh, which is really you know, for the show today, is really the testing of a drug. So there is different step in the phase one. So I'm going to start with the first step. So the drug has never really been taken by a human being. And so the first step is to test that drug. And we usually use a very small dose to start. And then we have what we call cohorts of different dose level. And we start very low. And then we double the dose. And then we triple the dose. And we go up like this until we start seeing uh, some either in the most ideal case efficacy without toxicity but often we are more uh, looking for toxicity because we're not really quite sure whether the drugs are going to be effective or not and as soon as we see toxicity then we start um, slowing down the trial sometimes decreasing the dose to make sure patients are not really suffering from the dose administration and we also watch uh, among the patients that we enroll, which could have any disease, it's not specific to a certain indication, uh, they could have any type of cancer. We're really looking, you know, if we have one or two patients that have a good response to that new drug and that have a specific type of cancers, then we would probably go to what's called an expansion phase where we take some more of the same diagnosis and treat them with the drug at the dose that we think is going to be the efficacious drug. So you're, you're expanding to more patients. We're expanding to more right. patients to really have a better feeling for what that uh, drug can do. And if we see you know, an additional one or two response, then it's time to go to phase two. Is that sometimes the problem, finding people with those similar types of cancer to do these phase one clinical trials with, Because it, particularly if it's a rarer type of cancer? 
Well, in phase one, most of the time, you know, if it's the phase one escalation phase initially, that can be offered to any patient. It's in the expansion phase, then uh, we need to subspecialize a little bit. So it really depends on the drug. So if we know the drug is going to target a specific mutation in a specific cancer, that's probably an ideal setting to try to enroll more patients with this often rare cancer. But, you know, the community and with the the web and all the advertisement all over, the community of patients really know they have their uh, advocate and support group and they know where the trials are. So they, patients call to go on those trials. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Claire to learn more about clinical trials, our phase one clinical trials. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Claire Verschragen, and we're talking about phase one clinical trials for cancer and for rare cancers. And, and Claire, one of the things that sort of occurs to me in talking to you and in talking to others is that all these advances in precision and targeted cancer um, treatment, and now particularly immuno-oncology and immunotherapy, really are exploding the the opportunities for what you do in in targeting these rare cancers and creating specialized treatment for individual patients. Yeah, that's correct, Steve. Uh, So that really has revolutionized the way that we treat uh, cancer patients, especially patients that are metastatic. Um, You know, when I started my career, we knew that those metastatic patients would eventually die of their disease. And since about, you know, I started really working on clinical trials with those new immunotherapies in 2004, 2005, they have been approved by the FDA. The first one was in 2011, and uh, many more have been approved since then. Uh, so in a period of eight years, we have seen really a huge amount of drugs approved by the FDA for treatment of cancer in the immunotherapy area, as well as the precision medicine area. That really has revolutionized the way that uh, patients can expect outcomes. So with immunotherapy in some cancers, we're now able to treat a, uh, and, and cure a quarter of the patient. Well, when I say cure, I have to be careful because you never know whether they're going to relapse later. Right. But no, they put them go in into total remission, remission yeah. uh, which are things that we had never seen before. So, um, no, this is thanks to those clinical trials we were talking about. We started with phase one and then we progressed along the phase two, phase three. When a drug is extremely active in phase one, um, sometimes we go straight to phase three and skip the phase two because we know that we have a winner. Um, And now these drugs are approved and help patients tremendously. So that really has been very uh, gratifying for an old oncologist like me. Yeah, I can imagine that um, 
when you said 20 years ago, it must have been very frustrating and there was only so much you could do. Now you have so many more ways to help people and improve their the length and quality of their lives. Yeah, that's correct. And it's all the results of all the trials we have accomplished and completed. Well, let's talk about these trials. Can you kind of walk us through an example of a, a patient comes to you uh and sort of how you evaluate him or her and decide upon um, what type of treatment, what type of clinical trial that you're going to put them on and and how that trial would then work. So uh, everything is really, uh, in a sense, personalized to the patient these days. So uh, if I see, uh, no, I work in the skin cancer clinic, so I see a lot of melanoma, Merkle carcinoma, and skin cancers. And usually the skin cancers I see is the one that is no longer operable and uh, no longer curable. So, so you see late stage. I see the late stage. Me- yes. uh, they can be locally uh, aggressive uh-uh. or uh, uh, metastasized. So uh, no, my job is really to try to think on how I can help them. So with the new immunotherapy, we usually go that route first. Uh, because we know that if the patient responds, it could be curative. So the immunotherapy is approved for melanoma, Merkle, and skin cancer. So that's pretty easy to either get the drugs, standard of care. We do run also a lot of uh, phase three clinical trials uh, where we have these drugs that we can offer to patients compared to a different type of uh, basic immunotherapy, trying to find better uh, combination. But once they fail that, then um, i rather uh, go for a new drug that we really don't know whether it works or doesn't work. And I offer that to the patients instead of trying a drug that maybe has a 15-20% chance of response rate without curative intent. Uh, because that's another option that patient can take before I still can go back to those drugs that you know, can palliate the disease more than cure the disease. Uh, and so depending on the slots that we have available, because these are very limited trials with very few patients, and patients have to really meet some strict eligibility criteria to be able to go inside those studies or to enroll. Um, what kind of criteria? Well, they need to have a normal organ function. So okay. people that had a recent myocardial infarction usually are not eligible if they're renal failure, they're not eligible. If their liver doesn't work well, they're not eligible. So there is a lot of criteria that prevent us to really uh, put some patients on trial. Or if, no, if the cancer is so far gone that they are like you know, within 12 weeks of a natural death, uh, these patients are usually not good candidates for those trials. So I'd rather offer them upfront when pe- people are still healthy. Because if by chance the drug is you know, one of those new miracle drugs, uh, the patient can benefit tremendously from participating in those trials. How do you match that patient with the different type of immunotherapy you're going to give them? So for the immunotherapy, uh, it's not so much the genomics or the the DNA analysis of the tumor that is important. We still have not really found a great correlation between the genomic damage that we see and the response to immunotherapy, except maybe in patients that have a lot of mutations per uh, number of uh, DNA database. Um, but for the precision therapy molecule, the one that we know targets a specific mutation in a specific cancer, 
uh, that definitely we would try to find those patients to enroll them in these new trials uh, when we know what we are looking for. So, for example, uh, there is a rare cancer called medulla medullary thyroid cancer, which is a cancer that starts in the thyroid. It's not really the thyroid per se that's cancerous, but an organ inside the thyroid that becomes cancerous. Um, in the past, when the patient was metastatic, nothing was working. Chemotherapy, nothing we were trying was working for these patients. It was really uh, a bad death because often the disease went in the bone, so it was very painful. Now, uh, most of these patients have a mutation in a protein called RET, R-E-T, and uh, there was a, a few new drugs that target this uh, you know, mutated pocket and basically blocks it. So the protein, instead of being activated crazy by the mutation, is blocked and the cells just quiet down because nothing is fueling the division of the cell. Um, and so when we knew the drug was targeting specifically this or that mutation, the RET from the, the preclinical studies we, we had done, yes, the RET mutation, um, we tried to find these patients and uh, lo and behold, when they went on the study, the response rate was around 80%, which was incredibly high compared to standard chemotherapy, which usually the response rate is you know, between 10 and 30%. So that's a great explanation of targeted or precision that's treatment. Right. That's yeah. exactly how it works. Yeah. That, that was a great explanation. Thank you. Yeah, that's, but immunotherapy I, is not that precise yet. So uh, we just know that it works. Uh, why some patients respond and why others don't respond, we still have a lot of work to do to understand that better. Give me sort of the, the mindset of, of the patients who their treatment's not going particularly well that you then see. So you're already always seeing people who are at fairly advanced stages of their cancer that um, that, that must be tough for them and tough for you. Uh, it's tough for everybody. I mean, it's really a bad disease. So uh, the, to me, the only way to you know, see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel is really the this promise of, new drugs where we don't know what they're doing. It's like having a car. Now, if you go to buy a car and the vendor tells you, well, I don't know if there is an engine in this <laughs> one, but in the other one, I know there is no engine. Which one are you going to buy? The, the one, one where you maybe. don't know, right? Yeah. So that's the same as going on a clinical trial. Um, no, you don't know if it's going to work, but if it works, uh, then it's good for you. If it doesn't work, then we learn something as well. Uh, the patient may not have fully benefited from there, but we can always go back to other uh, treatment uh, if that doesn't work. A, a trial uh, no, on a drug that will not work for a patient usually doesn't last more than six to eight weeks. And so then we, you have other and options. And then we have other options usually. I mean, but you, you're seeing more and more success. Yeah, well, that's the great... Uh, no, that's the great thing for us. So it keeps uh, it keeps us our drive going to try to get more trials here at Ohio State to offer our patients. So the the patients undergoing this are, uh, I'll use the word a little, maybe perhaps heroic. Oh, they are heroes because frankly they don't know whether the drug is going to work for them. Uh, they are willing to risk potential side effects from these treatments where we really don't know what's going to happen sometimes. And uh, they help us figuring out new treatments for future patients. So they put their life at risk for the sake of 
themselves first, of course, but also for future patients, because once we find the right treatment for the right indication, uh, we start having a winner here. Yeah, I, I've obviously not met nearly as many patients in that situation as you, but I've met a couple and the resiliency and strength and determination of people and their caregivers is is kind of inspirational. It's amazing, yeah. And often patients tell me, you know, I understand it may not work for me, but at least you will learn something, so I want to participate. And wow. I must thank them all for doing that. that that's uh, in, in some ways... Uh, obligates you to keep working pretty hard. That's right. <laughs> oh. Well, today we were in a meeting uh, reviewing all our phase one trials and seeing what patients were on the waiting list and who we got to offer, what drug, trying really to tailor the best option for you know, a specific patient. So it's not really random and, uh, and there is some thought behind it that we make sure that if we offer the trial to a patient, there is a chance the patient may benefit from it. Well, yeah, that's what I was sort of getting at before, mm. that there's no real guesswork involved. This is science and probability and, and matching the right patient to the right treatment. It's the, the whole concept of no routine cancer. Yes. I mean, that's really, that would be in a perfect world. But yeah. there's always We're, a little bit of a guess. <laughs> yeah, li- yes, but based on science. Based, based on science, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing all this, and, and perhaps uh, one day you can you can come back with one of your patients who's who's gone through this and come out on the other side doing well. I'm sure they would appreciate talking to you, Steve. Well, it was great to meet you and learn about a lot about something I didn't know too much about, which was phase one trial. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.